Um, welcome to Spring Valley Community Church. My name is Joe. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And if you're new with us this morning, or maybe you've missed a couple weeks, um, we're really glad that you're here today. We have been in a series, a teaching series called Hashtag Blessed, and we have been trying to answer the question, what does it mean to be blessed? It's common on social media, this is where we get the idea of hashtag blessed, it's common on social media, mostly Instagram, that you'll find a hashtag and then a hashtag is the pound sign with the word blessed attached to pictures of houses, weddings, engagement photos, children, and people on vacation. And that always bothers me when someone's on a beach and there's like hashtag blessed and I'm in my office and it's like, thanks so much, may the Lord be with you. You don't ever feel that way. No jealousy in your life. Houses, weddings, engagements, children, and vacation are all wonderful. But I'm convinced that our definition of the blessed life is often reduced to how much luxury we get to enjoy, how cute our kids are, and how much is in our bank account. But what we have to wrestle with is how Jesus uses the word blessed. Jesus uses the word blessed to describe people who are spiritually poor, people who mourn over their sin, people who have pure hearts. We've been learning what it means to be blessed by looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are at the beginning of Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us, as followers of Jesus, how we are supposed to live. But Jesus begins with the Beatitudes because they tell us who we must be. The Beatitudes describe the spiritual condition a person must be in before they can follow Jesus. Today we're going to look at the third Beatitude. One important thing to know is that the Beatitudes build on one another. Think of the Beatitudes like a ladder. In order to take the next step on a ladder, you don't start in the middle of the ladder, you start on the bottom rung, and then you work your way up. You have to start at the beginning. In order to be in the necessary spiritual condition to follow Jesus, you have to start with the first beatitude. So Jesus began, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus says we must be poor in spirit. We can't follow him until we realize we are in spiritual poverty and are deeply in need of Jesus. Then Jesus says, after we realize that we're spiritually bankrupt, he says, blessed are those who mourn over our sin." We must grieve over the fact that we are sinful, and then we have to turn from our sin in repentance. And now Jesus tells us the next rung of the ladder he's asking us to climb. And remember, these aren't things we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. Matthew 5.5 5 says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to know what meekness means. Teach us, and would you do that work in our hearts so that we might become a meek people. Lord, help us to understand what you want to do in our lives because we are meek. And Lord, speak to us today. Do the work that only you can do in this place. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to ask three questions this morning. The first is this. What is meekness? What is meekness? 
Of all the Beatitudes, I think this one is the hardest to understand because many of us aren't exactly sure what the word meek actually means. I think because meek rhymes with weak, we often think meekness and weakness go together, don't we? We're like, oh, and then there's this like old hymn that talks about Jesus being meek and mild. And then we're like, okay, is meekness about being mild? Does that mean you're like Casper Milktoast? You have no personality. Everything's fine. You just let people walk all over you. You're just kind of a weak and mousy person. And is that what Jesus is calling us to be? I don't qualify for that. You figured that out. I don't think the men in the room would consider being called meek a compliment if you thought someone was calling you a wimp. No dudes are like, oh, I want to be called to a life of wimpiness. I have good news. Being meek has absolutely nothing to do with being weak. Jesus is actually quoting directly. This beatitude is a direct quote from Psalm 37, verse 11. Jesus says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. So Jesus is saying there's something about what's said in Psalm 37 that teaches us about what meekness is. So I want to show you this part of Psalm 37 and kind of in our minds build a definition of what it means to be meek. So Psalm 37 verse 5 starts this way. The psalmist says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Okay, so what does meekness mean? If the conclusion of the psalmist is that the meek will inherit the land, what are the characteristics that precede that conclusion? What kind of person is the psalmist describing that the psalmist concludes the meek will inherit the land? Because that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth or the land. Same word. We learn a few things about what it means to be meek. First, in verses 5 and 6, the psalmist tells us that the meek have committed their way to the Lord and they trust in him. The meek believe that God will work for them and vindicate them when others oppose them. Biblical meekness is rooted in the deep confidence that God is for you and not against you because you've committed your way to the Lord and you're trusting in the Lord and you're trusting that God will act on your behalf. Secondly, the psalmist says that we are still before the Lord when we're meek, and we wait patiently for him. The meek have discovered that God can be trusted, and they don't have to take things into their own hands because God has their back. It doesn't mean they're lazy. It doesn't mean the meek are marked by drama, worry, and anxiety. Let me restate that because I think I said it wrong. The meek are not marked by drama, worry and anxiety. Anyone here a drama king or queen? Like every time something goes wrong, the whole world needs to know. You post it on Facebook, you call your mother, you call all your friends, you text everyone you've ever met because life's falling apart and you just need the world to know that you're in crisis. That's not meekness. See, at the heart of meekness 
is knowing that you have to wait on God. There's a sense that you're letting God lead you. You're not taking things into your own hands. And third, people who are meek refuse to get angry or fret about their circumstances. Three times in Psalm 37, it says, do not fret. So people who are meek understand that their family and their work and their life are in God's sovereign hands. They trust him. They're waiting patiently and quietly to see how God's power and goodness will work things out. And so the setbacks and the obstacles that we all experience and people oppose us, all of that, when we're meek, because you know what happens to you, it kind of happens to me, when life doesn't go well, what are you prone to do? You're prone to worry, you're prone to get bitter, you're prone to get angry, and you're prone to take things into your own hands. But people who are meek understand that God is fighting their battles for them. They're going to inherit the land because they don't have to take it from another. They don't go out and take what's theirs. They wait on the Lord for him to come through in his time and in his season. To put it plainly, to be meek is to be totally surrendered to God. If you want a working definition of meekness, I think this is an awesome one. To be totally surrendered to God. The Latin word for meek is mansutus. Mansutus. It's a weird word. And it means used to the hand. Used to the hand. It's an expression that referred to a horse that had been tamed. A horse that is not used to the hand is dangerous and unbroken. Anyone ever seen, you know, you, you've seen the, the video or the movie with the, with the horse that's just like a wild stallion and no one can get near it and it's bucking everywhere and someone walks behind it and they get a broken nose. I mean, we've seen that before, right? Like there's just this wild horse that's just, it has not been broken yet. However, a horse that is used to the hand is a horse that is under control and submitted to the direction of its trainer. It's not that the horse is weak. The horse is strong, but his strength is under control. Meekness is controlled strength. It tames the temper, subdues the self, calms the passions, manages the impulses of our hearts, and brings order out of chaos in the soul so that we can follow the leadership of another. Meekness flows out of poor in spirit and mourning over sin because once you realize you are spiritually bankrupt and sinful, you have an accurate picture of yourself. Meek people really have a sober self-assessment. See, they realize they have nothing to bring to God. They realize that their life has been marked by sin and they are mourning over their sin. And because they realize there's nothing within them to commend them to God, they're ready to follow ready to follow. Meek people understand that they are desperate for the leadership of Jesus in their lives. Meekness is marked by gentleness and humility in your dealings with other people also because you're done with self-interest and self-expression. Meek people are no longer impressed with themselves. Meek people can be humble and gentle because they already know how much they need God and there is nothing left for them to prove. The only thing left is to love and serve and follow God. 
That's meekness. Meekness is a surrendered spiritual condition. Meekness brings you to the place where you are ready to follow and obey Jesus Christ. Number two, why do we need to be meek? Like, why, like what's the point? Like, why do we need meekness? There are many reasons we should pursue meekness. The most obvious reason being that if we aren't meek, we aren't blessed, and we aren't ready to follow Jesus. But Jesus' half-brother, James, wrote a letter to Christians, and he uses the word meek to tell us that we're going to need meekness in our life in order to do something that is of utmost importance in the Christian life. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 says this. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Okay, so, so James says, get rid of all the impurities in your life, all the wickedness, all the immorality that's in you. Get rid of that. Stop doing that. Stop sowing into that. And instead of doing that, accept something new into your life. And humbly, or that word humble can actually be, or meekly, accept the word planted in you which can save you. And then he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Some people might be here this morning, you're like, well, I'm at church and I'm listening to this sermon and I must be fine with the Lord. I must be really following Jesus just because I'm here and I'm listening to you talk. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Like, that's the problem with a religious mindset towards Christianity. I just checked the boxes, but I'm not really surrendered. Instead of surrendering, I've chosen religion. Instead of surrendering, I choose to go through the motions. I come to church on Sundays, I serve in a ministry, I give. I listen to you talk, Joe. I wish you'd wrap it up. I help tear down chairs. We could use your help tearing down chairs today. Like, and we just kind of think like, okay, we're really surrendered. Those things are part of following Jesus, but that's not the whole story. We need to humbly accept the word planted in us, and then we need to do what it says. Not just the parts we like, but all of what it says. If we're going to accept God's word into our lives, we must be meek. So if the core of being meek is being surrendered to God and his leadership in your life, then we must come to God's word with meekness. The Bible, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is full of teachings and stories and truths that are in opposition to your personal opinions. One of my favorite conversations with people is when I tell them something that's in the scriptures, they say, I see it differently. Oh, oh, you do? Okay, I am so sorry that for 2,000 years we have considered this God's word. But you showed up, and you're 24, and you know everything, and you disagree. Or you're 44, or 64, or 84. The Bible tells us things that we hate. The Bible tells us that every one of us is sinful. That every one of us is separated from God. That Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. That Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God. That no one can know God apart from Jesus. I know if you're a Christian, you're like, yep, that's all true. And then some of us are like, that doesn't seem fair or right or PC. How can Jesus be the only way? 
Because Jesus himself said it. And where do we find that? In the word of God. And Jesus is the living word of God. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. So if we don't accept what Jesus is saying, we don't accept Jesus. The Bible tells us the truth about what we should do with our money. How we should think about marriage and sexuality. How we should treat people who hurt us. And how we should love all people regardless of their politics, race, or socioeconomic status. The Bible regularly grates against your preferences and assumptions and your worldview. If you haven't ever had the experience where you're reading the Bible and you're like, I don't know if I agree with that, you're not reading the Bible. That should happen sometimes to all of us. There are passages of scripture where I'm like, I wish you would have said that differently. Wish you would have softened the blow a little bit there. Wish you would have said that with a smile on your face, Jesus. We must come to the Bible knowing that our sinful hearts naturally want to disagree, disregard, and explain away the things we don't like. And so James tells us that in order to accept what God speaks to us through his word, we must be meek. We must be humble. We must be surrendered. The question for us is this. Do I accept what the Bible teaches or do I ignore it? Or worse, do I try and make it mean something different? One of the greatest tragedies in the American church right now, one of the greatest tragedies in the American church is calling good what God has called evil. And I am here to tell you this morning You are evil if you call good what God has called evil. And we need to be so careful that we don't set ourselves up above Scripture as judge instead of coming under its authority in surrendered meekness. Because there are a lot of things that a lot of people don't like about what the Scriptures say. And you're not ready to follow Jesus if you're not ready to accept his word into your life. Are there different ways to interpret some passages in the Bible? Of course. Sure, there are wonderful, godly people who disagree about certain issues. There are some people who deeply love Jesus who believe that women can't be pastors. There are people who deeply love Jesus who believe the Bible teaches that women can be pastors. There are different sides of issues. And Christians disagree from time to time on some of them. However, if you discover something in the scriptures that you don't like, do we twist the meaning or do we surrender in meekness? See, some of us, we've attached ourselves to political parties, both the right and the left. And both the right and the left have ideologies that are not in line with the scriptures. You'll often find Jesus in the radical middle of every issue. Some of us think we have a corner on the truth market because of our political party. This happens on both sides. And what the problem is, is when we so deeply identify with our politics and not with who Jesus Christ is and what his word says, we end up ignoring large portions of scripture because it doesn't fit the worldview that we adopted and that is not meekness, that is pride. And so, I know that, what am I trying to do right now? Offend everyone. If you're like, oh, I don't know. I feel that way too. I get it. 
But let us not be people who twist and change the scriptures. And when Jesus says to love our enemies, that we're like, yeah, but which ones did he mean? And when Jesus says to love our neighbors, you know, but not that one, Lord. And when Jesus says that marriage is between one man and one woman, that we say, yeah, but those two people really love each other. When Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, we don't blow someone away. None of us like all the scriptures. So we need meekness. We need meekness. We need surrender. Why do we need meekness? To accept the word of God into our lives and do what it says. I hope that what's happening in your hearts right now is that you are willing to abandon things that don't align with scripture. And if you're not, you're not meek. You've created a version of Christianity that suits you. And that's not Christianity. We don't get to cherry pick what we like in the scriptures and what we don't like. We come surrendered in meekness to follow Jesus. Because we can't live out what he has asked us to do if we want to change the rules as we follow. Number three, how can we become meek? How can we become meek? I love this answer. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 29, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. And it really could say, the translation could literally be, I am gentle and meek in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If we want to be the kind of people who are totally surrendered to God, who are fully trusting in the Lord, who are humble and gentle in our dealings with others, we need to stay close to Jesus. Jesus embodied meekness. We learn to be meek as we yoke ourselves to Jesus. What does that mean to yoke yourself to Jesus? A yoke joined two animals so that they could pull a plow together as they walk side by side. Jesus comes to us and says, yoke your life to mine. Walk with me and learn my way of life. The only chance any of us have of becoming meek is by walking with Christ and learning it from him. Not one of us is born meek. It's not a personality trait or a natural disposition. All of our hearts naturally resist authority and leadership. It takes a supernatural, supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ on a daily basis to empty ourselves of all our selfishness and be filled up with the gentleness, humility, and meekness of Christ. You will not live a meek life without walking with Jesus. And I see this in my own life all the time. In my life, I have seen I am not naturally wired for meekness. My personality doesn't lend itself well to meekness. I am naturally worried, angry, impatient, fiery. You're like, no. Fiery and easily frustrated. That's true about me. All those things are true about me apart from Christ. I'm naturally worried, angry, impatient, fiery, and easily frustrated. But when I start my day with 
my best friend. When I take my moments in the morning to be with Jesus. When I encounter him. His meekness begins to shine through the broken places in my heart. If you want to grow in meekness, you have to walk with Jesus. This is not something you could sit in your seat and drum up. This is not something that you can learn from another. Everyone who's truly meek has encountered Christ. Second thing I want to say is, not only do we grow in meekness by walking with Jesus, we also grow in meekness by anticipating the future. What's with this whole thing that Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth? What in the world does that mean? Why does Jesus promise that meek people, surrendered people, living under the authority of Jesus, ready to follow, why does Jesus promise that the meek will inherit the earth? Think of it this way. Many of us believe that if you want something in life, you need to go after it and take it for yourself. Some of you were taught that by your parents. If you want anything in life, you need to go after it and take it for yourself. You need to take things into your own hands. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be people of initiative. But people who are meek are waiting on God to act first. They're not being lazy. They're actively waiting. They're like the watchmen on the wall that the book of Ezekiel describes, looking to see if the enemy is coming, looking to see what God is doing. There's an active part of waiting, waiting for God to move before you move. People who are meek are trusting in the Lord. They are surrendered to the Lord, and they know this, that ultimately God is going to give them all he has promised in the future. Jesus didn't say the meek have inherited the earth. He says they will. We don't have to be people who take what's ours. We don't have to nail and fight and claw to get everything we've ever dreamed of in this life. We don't have to fight fire with fire. That's not the Christian way. We don't have to take from others because we know that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Do you realize that we are going to inherit, as we follow Jesus, surrendered to him? I think all of us in this room could identify some things in life we wish we had that we don't have. But Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth because when we surrender to Christ, his plan is to give us, in the future, all that's his. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to those who follow him. We can humbly and patiently anticipate the day when the whole world will be ours. And I have good news. He's not going to give it to us in the mess that it's in right now. It'll be perfect. It'll be made new. And it will be ours. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. He says this to the Corinthian church. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, 
So the Corinthians were really kind of worked up about who their teacher was. Some people were following Paul. Some people were following Apollos. Some people were following Peter. And Paul's like, stop. The Christian life is not a competition between Christian leaders about who people love and want to follow more. That's the way the world works. That's not how God's kingdom works. All things are yours. All your teachers, all your pastors are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Here's the question. Are you growing in meekness? Are you growing in meekness? I just want to be real about something this morning. I think this is where a lot of us get stuck. Here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of us are willing to admit that we're in need spiritually. I really do. I don't think that takes a whole lot of, a whole lot of guts for most people. Some people, it absolutely does. But if you've been following Jesus for a long time, you know you're in need spiritually. I don't think it takes a whole lot of guts to mourn over your sin. But here's the thing about meekness. Being poor in spirit and mourning over your sin is like standing on the starting line. Just to come to the starting line of walking with Jesus, you need to realize you need him and you need to mourn over your sin and turn from it. But meekness says it's time to follow. Meekness says, I'm surrendered. I'm willing to come under the authority of the risen Christ. And that's where I think a lot of us refuse to go. We don't want his authority. We just want his forgiveness. But Jesus says... If you're going to live life, a blessed life, there must be surrender. And I think the question for me and for you, for every beating heart in this room, and I would ask that you don't blow this question off, are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Is he leading or, or, have you just added him in to make your life easier? Because there's a major difference. Some of us want to use Jesus to get things. And Jesus says, surrender to me to make your life about my thing. Your life is not for you. And the meek know that. Your life is for Christ. Totally and completely surrendered to him. You are no longer in charge. You are no longer the boss of you. You no longer get to do whatever you feel like doing. You wait on the Lord. You commit to him. You trust in him. You see where he's working and you follow him there. 
you look in his word and you see what God has said and you surrender to it, not try to twist it and change it and disregard it. Are you growing in meekness? I think that's a question we have to wrestle with as we receive communion this morning. I'm going to ask our ushers to come. And we're going to take a moment to think about the most meek person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. And we're going to realize that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And the only reason we can celebrate communion is because Jesus was surrendered to his Father's will. And we are who we are. And we are a church and we have hope and there is a future because Jesus was meek. And you can hold symbolically his body and his blood. Because he was gentle and he was humble. And he was obedient to death and went to the cross for you.
want to read this passage to you and then we'll receive communion. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 11. Paul tells the Philippian church, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look out for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Right before Jesus was arrested, he was with his disciples and he kind of had this symbolic meal that he shared with them. It was an actual meal that he ate, but it would become symbolic for us as we remember the death of Jesus. And Jesus says that we should receive communion in remembrance of, of him. And so he took some bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Broken body for you, for me. Let's eat together. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of peace with God. When you come to Jesus Christ, when you surrender to Jesus Christ, you get peace with God and life with God and joy with God and a future with God. That's all wrapped up in this covenant. Let's drink together. I'm going to pray and close our service. And then when I say amen, you're dismissed. Just a couple things. Just hold, hold tight. Drop your orange cards in the bucket on the way out. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to line the front of this stage. If you need prayer for anything this morning, anything at all, there'll be people here to pray with you. Hope you have a great week. And let's, uh, let's close in prayer together today. Lord, I thank you so much that you call us to a life of surrender. Lord, we often want to take back the reins and we want to take control. And Lord, just like that unbroken horse, we want to kick and buck and not follow. 
So Lord, I pray over my life and I pray over the life of every person in this room that we would get used to your hand and that you would be able to lead us where you want to take us. God, I need that. We all need that. Work into us meekness as we walk with Christ and see his meekness. And may out of our meekness, may we love God and be surrendered to God and love and serve one another. Lord, help us not just to be a welcoming church, but help us to be a meek church, gentle and humble towards everyone we encounter. Lord, we need you. We love you. You know what we're facing when we get up from these seats and we go out into the world. You know what's on our mind. You know the challenges we're facing this week. And so, Lord, I pray blessing over each person in this room. And I pray every person would know that they don't have to walk alone, but by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, you will go with us from this place and you will be with us all week. Teach us to rely on you. Teach us to commit our way to you. Teach us to trust you. Teach us surrender. In the great, glorious, beautiful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.